perspective. So if last week we were talking about how Jesus lived a life of prayer, this morning I want to speak to us about the way that Jesus moved towards those who we might think of as being on the margins of society. So I want to suggest this morning that it was intrinsic somehow to Jesus' mission, the mission of the kingdom, that he went to those people who maybe others overlooked, those people who somehow were outside of the centre of society, the power structures, the privileges of society, and those whom we might think of as being on the margins. And to do that, I'm going to take us through three points to keep me accountable, so staying on track. The first point is that the good news is not always welcome. And I'll unpack that a little bit. The second point is that Jesus, in his ministry, in the mystery of it, chose to go to those places where the good news was welcome. It's a tricky point, but that's why it's worth unpacking. And then thirdly, that where the good news is welcome, the kingdom has power in this life. So that's where we're going to go. Um, Sharon and I caught up recently with some good friends of ours who really inspire us. They're, they're both they're a couple um, uh, with too many kids like us and... Um, it's hard to know which one I'd get rid of. Probably none of them. Uh, but sometimes there's just too many of them. Uh, but anyway, they've got a, they're, so they're sort of similar stage of life. And um, they're charismatic, creative, talented people, educated people. Um, and they felt the leading of God in their life to move into a particularly underprivileged um, neighborhood so following uh, their work which they're both sort of in um, in education and social services uh, they had to move to regional Queensland and um, they made frankly probably a strange decision by many of our accounts to move into a, a poorer neighborhood in the town uh, that they they moved to and um, so as a part of that they've seen uh, some amazing things happen. They've really gone there with a sense of mission. Uh, there's lots of kids in that neighbourhood that go to school without lunch. And so uh, they bake food and buy extra fruit and veggies and they've got like a little community pantry near their letterbox that they fill up every day and kids from the neighbourhood come past and grab food out of there. Every Friday night they go to the park uh, that is at the centre of their neighbourhood and they take some of those big uh, packets of Woolworth sausages and some white bread and some sauce and some onions and they just cook up a bunch of sausages and people come from all around the neighbourhood every Friday night. It's become this kind of uh, like little weekly ritual and celebration in the neighbourhood where uh, our friends just feed a bunch of people and get the community together. Would you believe it that God starts to work through that? Uh, maybe it's not surprising to us. And so um, a bunch of women in the neighbourhood who, who have no real church background have be begun to meet in their home for a Bible study. And um, our friend is, you know, it's a challenge as she, she's, she's taken them through the Gospel of Mark at the moment. And she, she was talking about, 
you know, the, the wonder of studying the Bible, who, who are coming at it with no experience of it, maybe some preconceptions, but also just a lot of ignorance. And um, she, she had this particular woman who's been coming on her heart from a, from a difficult sort of domestic situation in uh, a tricky relationship that we, that we might sort of question the wisdom of, a really troubled past with relationships and all, all the stuff that you can imagine, substances and all that kind of stuff. Um, and um, my friend, our friend, was about to take uh, the Bible study through this section of teaching in, in Mark where it talks about divorce. <laughs> Jesus is like, says some pretty, pretty challenging things about, about divorce. Um, and he says a, a bunch of other challenging things. Um, and so our friend was really nervous about it because that would touch down in this woman's life. Anyway, she said, it's remarkable that the things that she's nervous about the Bible saying in that context often aren't the controversial things, it's other things. And so when they got to this passage of Jesus' teaching, um, what really was like a sticking point for this woman who lives in, like, you know, uh, a poor neighbourhood by our standards, was where Jesus says, and you can go look this up, I think it's in chapter 9 or 10, where Jesus says, uh, it is harder, it's easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than a rich man to enter the kingdom of heaven. Our friend was like, what is that? Like, this woman is poor by Australian standards. And the thing that she found most offensive in this section of the gospel, which is full of potentially offensive things, is the idea that it's really tricky for a rich person to get into heaven. And um, why I tell that story is because I think there's a thread in Scripture, uh, in the Gospels, in the teaching of Jesus. I mean, to, to call it a thread risks sort of underplaying how significant a part of Jesus' teaching it is. Uh, it might be a thread of a braid. It's not a thread of a tapestry. There's a significant sort of section, uh, aspect, drive of Jesus's teaching that runs along these lines and you know this woman who had never heard this teaching before and struggled with it is not alone in finding this stuff really tricky why <laughs> why would Jesus say something like this but it's consistent in Jesus's teaching in the stories of Jesus's life you might think of this song that Mary sings when she receives the news that God is going to bring his saviour into the world through her. Uh, it includes this line, uh, Luke 1, 46 to 55. It's a, it's a song sometimes called the Magnific Magnificat, but it includes this line. God has filled the hungry with good things, but he has sent the rich away empty. You might also think of the Beatitudes, the Sermon on the Mount in Matthew. Uh, it's called something slightly different in Luke where Jesus says, confronting strange things like this, blessed are the poor, the hungry, the weeping, the hated, insulted and rejected. And then in Luke's Gospel, it's got a slightly different sort of flavour in Matthew, but I'm looking at Luke's Gospel here. He says, woe to those who are rich, Woe to the well-fed, 
Woe to those who laugh. Woe to those who are well regarded. And it's like, what's going on, Jesus? Are you a sadist? (laughs) Do you hate us? I mean, here I am, by global standards, a wealthy man, fairly well regarded, depending on which circles you, you, you move in. I have the blessing of laughing a lot. I eat amazing food. Why would you point this at me, Jesus? What, what is wrong with you? Has anyone struggled with this before? Am I alone here? Rich Australians? I know, I know we're all in different places and maybe, you know, um, I don't want to presume we, we're, we're all rich. I know it's, times are tough, right? That many of us in this room could feel <laughs> somewhat sidelined or maligned by this thread of Jesus' teaching. As I've thought about this this week, where I have arrived at um, is that it is not that God's heart is orientated away from the rich. It's not that God's heart is orientated away from me as someone who feels wealthy, who hopes they're well regarded, who laughs a lot, who eats well. It's not that God's heart is oriented away from me and those who are blessed to be wealthy like I am. But it is that the kingdom of God, as Jesus inaugurates it when he comes into the world, the kingdom of God disrupts the established orders of this world. The world works in such a way The kingdom of human beings, the kingdoms of human beings, work in such a way as power and privilege and blessing sort of coalesce around a set of things that we do out of our humanity that will not last into eternity if they are not aligned with the kingdom of God. Because the kingdoms of this world will pass, will be superseded by the kingdom of God. Uh, A Dominican New Testament um, expert says this, and I think this is a great quote that I've sort of, I'll, I'll put the notes out as I did last week, I've sort of butchered it down a little bit just so that it's not too long, but you'll get the spirit of it. A guy called Wilfred Harrington, an Irishman, Jesus preached the kingdom. I love this. He preached that God is the ultimate meaning of this world. The rule of God for Jesus does not signify something spiritual which is outside of this world, but is supremely concerned with our real world. When Jesus preached the kingdom of God, he envisaged a revolution in the existing order. This preaching makes of us two fundamental demands. He asks for personal conversion and he proposes a restructuring of the human world. For Jesus, conversion means changing one's mode of thinking and acting to suit God's purpose for humanity. It is, 
Harrington says, a new manner of existing before God when Jesus first starts preaching it in the world. But he goes on, conversion also means a turning from the established order. He says that Jesus' outlook and conduct were marked by freedom. Jesus' understanding of freedom, and this is countercultural, this should hit us in the guts. Jesus' understanding of freedom is freedom to serve. Jesus did not make life easier for his disciples. His disconcerting word was that love knows no limits. Jesus proclaimed not law, but good news. The gospel is good news for those who can grasp it in its spirit and react positively to it. So that's important. The gospel is good news for those who can grasp it and react positively to it. Jesus' good news embraced an equality for all men and women as children of the Father, brothers and sisters. Good news understood in this way is a radical challenge to all social and religious systems based on power. I'm nearly there, but this is good, isn't it? Jesus, and this is where it is critical for this sermon series, Jesus sought disciples. Jesus called disciples and his call was a powerful summons. Discipleship meant wholehearted commitment. Jesus means to enable that we attain an authentic humanity, not an enslavement to a power system. He takes a firm stand against legalism. He warns and warned of the threat of riches, a message that would not be welcome in certain quarters. He makes the startling assertion that the essence of authority is service. Jesus upends the powers, and that's not a new theme to us in this church. But in so much of Christianity, I think the point is missed that the real inbreaking of God's kingdom into the world turns the world on its head because he comes as the one with true power and true authority, and yet the manifestation of those is service. The gospel of Jesus, the gospel of the kingdom of God, is either good news to us or bad news to us, according to the extent to which we are invested in the earthly kingdoms, which God's kingdom is displacing and will displace. I'm going to say that again, because that is the good news. The good news, the gospel of Jesus, the good news of the kingdom of God is either good news or bad news to us according to the extent to which we are invested in the earthly kingdoms being displaced by the kingdom of God. And so in as much as we invest our life in the things of this world, in comfort, in pleasure, in power, prestige, privilege, entertainment, reputation, fame, affirmation. 
Inasmuch as those things have supreme value in our eyes, are supremely sought after in the pattern of our lives, inasmuch as we build our lives around those things, the kingdom of God comes as a threat. (laughs) The kingdom of God will bring great mourning for us. The kingdom of God will challenge us. The kingdom of God, that first point, remember? I I told you that I keep coming back to this. Keep myself accountable. The kingdom of God, we call good news. We believe it's good news when we live in light of its reality. But it is not received as good news by all. Even our own hearts might struggle with the challenge of whether it's good or not to us. But the pattern of Jesus' life and ministry shows us that Jesus went after those for whom the news was good news. Sometimes this is referred to as God's preferential option. (laughs) I don't know if you've ever heard that, that God has a preferential option for the poor. It's not that God's heart is oriented away from us who are wealthy, away from us who have built our lives according to the values of the kingdoms of this world, but that (laughs) for us, his good news doesn't always get received as good news. And so Jesus in his ministry goes to those for whom the message of the kingdom is good news. Basically, in the Gospels of Matthew and Luke, and uh, the notes will sort of give you some leading here, and you can go and check this for yourself. Basically, in the Gospels of Matthew and Luke, there is a clear section that begins with the Sermon on the Mount or the Beatitudes that I opened up with speaking about, the blessed other meek, blessed other poor, and so forth. It begins with this radical teaching of Jesus and ends with, so a section, not the whole Gospels, but ends with the sending out of the 12 disciples. It's like a clear sort of um, unit within the Gospels in which both Matthew and Luke are going, see this as a section understand this almost like a chapter, a section you could read almost in and of itself. So Jesus delivers this challenging sermon about those who are blessed and in Luke, those who might expect some woe. And then um, some interesting things happen, which we're just going to whiz through very quickly here. Before Jesus then sends the disciples out, Jesus speaks about those who will bless. He turns uh, the world on its head by uh, delivering what some have called a manifesto of his kingdom in the Beatitudes. And then he goes to work, as though working out this manifesto. If you want to know what it looks like to live a kingdom life, if you want to know what it looks like to live according to this strange sermon that includes the Beatitudes... This is what it looks like. So you can see there in the Gospel of Luke, he heals the servant of a centurion. You might know that story. Confronting thing to do. The Jews um, 
were occupied by the Romans. The Romans were the great enemy of their religion. And Jesus, straight out of the gate, <laughs> goes and, and confronts the, the religious establishment and power of his community by healing the servant of someone who he should not be helping at all. The servant of an enemy and an occupier. He does that in Matthew's gospel as well. He raises the dead son of a widow. So not just conquering death by his miraculous power, but saving her livelihood. He was probably her meal ticket. And Jesus looks with compassion on this woman in the ancient world. A widow, you know, widows weren't looked after. Uh, They were those on the margins, those at the edge, those who might go so easily into poverty. And Jesus helps practically to raise this woman back out of that dire situation by raising her son from the dead. Jesus is anointed in Luke's gospel, as you can see, by that sinful woman. So again, it's like he's putting a target on his head for the religious authorities by letting a woman of you know, bad reputation, the sort of woman that he shouldn't as a good Jew be hanging around with, not just be with him, but anoint him, touch him, worship him uh, physically. Jesus exhibits his authority in the spiritual realm in both Gospels by casting demons out of demon-possessed men. In Matthew's Gospel, you can see there, he heals this woman with uh, an issue where she's bleeding constantly and as a result isn't um, ceremonially... I'll just try that again. You know the word I mean, don't you? Ceremonially clean to enter the the sort of the worship life of her community. He again shows his authority over death in Matthew's Gospel by raising a dead girl. He heals the blind the lame, the mute. There's this great little section in Luke's gospel where John the Baptist, who's in prison, hears about what Jesus is doing and and sends people to to find out, is Jesus the long-awaited Messiah? So this is in this section to which Jesus replies, go back and report to John what you have seen and heard. The blind receive sight, the lame walk, Those who have leprosy are cleansed, the deaf hear, the dead are raised, and the good news is proclaimed to the poor. We could get a little bit Pentecostal for a second and hallelujah to that. (laughs) Is that that good news? It's good news for some, isn't it? (laughs) I sure hope it's good news for us. I sure hope it's good news for me. Jesus... (laughs) Are you the one that the world has been waiting for? Are you the Messiah which will vindicate Israel against its enemies? Are you the king who will come and establish a kingdom that reigns forever? I'm not going to answer you in the way that you would like me to answer necessarily. I'm not going to give you a direct yes. This is what I'm going to tell you. Am I the Messiah? The blind receive sight. The lame walk, those who have leprosy are cleansed, the deaf hear, the dead are raised, and good 
news is proclaimed to the poor. Jesus pursues the lame, those with leprosy, the blind, the deaf, the dead, the poor, because that's where the news of his kingdom is received as good news. Last week, I remarked upon the fact that it's, it's, it's quite significant that two of the prayers of thankfulness that Jesus prays in this life are, Father, I thank you <laughs> that though your message is hidden from the wise, little children can receive it. Those who receive the news as good are those to whom the good news goes. The third point that I promised you that I was going to make is that where the news is received as good, it comes in power. There are places in the world where the good news isn't received as good news, where the good news isn't welcomed, where the good news does not take root. And in this section of both, uh, you know, where I've talked about, it begins with Jesus preaching the Beatitudes and then sending the disciples out. In both Gospels, Jesus makes some mention of this. Issues around how the message of the good news is received. So um, in Matthew, you can see there, there's that famous sort of quote of Jesus' Jesus's where he says, the harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. In Luke, he tells a story in chapter 8 about a sower sowing seed. A sower sowing seed. And he, he, it's one of those rare moments where he explains the parable to his disciples. But you might remember as the sower sows the seed, the sower sowing the seed being a, king, uh, a picture of, of the good news of the kingdom going out, some of the seed falls on the path, is trampled upon, Jesus says, and birds come along and they gobble it up and fly away. Some of the seed falls on stony ground and can't take root. Some of the seed falls into thorny ground. And again, the good news gets sort of strangled. And then finally, Jesus says, there is some soil in this world where the good news is welcomed. <laughs> where the good news is welcomed. Now, Jesus explains the parable for us. He says, in the case of the seed that falls on the path and is eaten by uh, birds, he actually sort of does some spiritual analysis. And he says, this, it's the case that, um, that it's just not ever going to go in at all. The good news is never going to go in. And there's like a spiritual, uh, he actually says that, that, that Satan sort of, is involved in taking the good news away. That's tricky and we don't have time to go into that. But there it is. In the case of the rocky ground, Jesus says, there are those who receive the good news as good. But 
only believe for a while and fall away after testing. Of the thorny ground, Jesus says, the thorny ground is like those whose soil is choked by life's worries, riches and pleasures. That is that soil (laughs) where the good news isn't good news, right? Where lives are being lived according to the structures of the kingdoms of this world and people find themselves in a place they want to hold on to by their own power, by their own privilege, by their own intelligence, by their own hard work, by their own luck. A place where it's difficult, so difficult, more difficult than getting a camel through the eye of a needle. And for what it's worth, I think Jesus has been a bit funny there with the camel through the eye of a needle thing. Um, but the, the picture he's painting is it's, it's going to be hard for you if you're in that situation. The good news is a threat to the way that you're structuring your life. Jesus when he sends the 12 out in Matthew 10, at the end of this section that I've identified for us, says, If anyone will not welcome you or listen to your words, what does he say? Leave the place, shake the dust off your feet. Sounds kind of harsh. What Jesus is doing is saying the kingdom is breaking in. The kingdom has come and is coming. Go then, therefore, to the places where the word of the kingdom is received as good news. Because God knows there are many. There are many. Uh, We might think of this in sort of more corporate, pragmatic terms as don't you know, sacrifice your strengths to fill your weaknesses, right? <laughs> you could be, I mean, t- to some degree we experience that in this, in this neighbourhood, you know, like the people who, who are wealthy enough to live around here, they don't really care <laughs> whether we're here a lot of the time or not. You know who, who has cared? It's the people who, say, Pastor Clem and Leanne have chased the people who 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 have somehow been pushed to the margins even in a wealthy suburb like Alderley you could bang your head against the wall <laughs> trying to make the good news good for those whom it is actually a threat Jesus says work with the way that the kingdom works it is good news to those who are in need. Jesus, I'm going to get the band up. Um, If it's all right, we're going to take communion in in a little while. But Jesus calls his 12 disciples at the beginning of the Gospels. They're in his presence when he preaches this kind of manifesto of the kingdom in the Beatitudes. He shows them what living out of that manifesto is like turning the world upside down, taking 
the love of God to those who truly need it. And then he sends them out. He says, you guys, it's your turn now. (laughs) You go live the manifesto. And he sends them to those on the margins, those who aren't at the centre of society, those who don't have the power and the privilege, those who might not be so talented, so beautiful, so well regarded. But those who recognise that need. It's so unlike the world, isn't it? The ones who can know God. Are the ones who just know they need him. The unlovely. The miserable. The poor. The unpopular. The overlooked. The imprisoned. the abandoned, the destitute. And those of us who who aren't in such dire circumstances, it's going to be harder. You know, we're blessed in this community to have people who get this because not everybody gets this (laughs) the good news doesn't take root everywhere but I think of Clem and Leanne people who've lived this out in our midst I think next week Chris is interviewing Pete and Dot Lane more people (laughs) who've lived this out for us I'm constantly being discipled by my wife in this. You know, I, I got to see her when I was a young adult when, and she was a teenager. She was that person at the youth camps who would come into the rec room and look for the table at which just one person sat <laughs> and go and sit with them the challenge of the gospel is so hard, right? But that's not that hard. Walking in to the rec room at camp and choosing between sitting with the people that might move you to the centre of power and privilege, the centre of where things are happening, popularity, whatever. You know, as a teenage girl, that that may have been her consideration. And going, no, I think Jesus wants me to sit with that person who doesn't have any friends, doesn't stop at church camps or youth camps. That's staff room, lunch break rooms, isn't it? It's the person that you see sitting on the same bench outside Coles with their hat out every time you go in and out. It's just people in your life who, who for whatever reason are at the margins. Jesus in his mystery, he goes there 
his disciples are called to go there. You know, as we come to communion, and I did have a communion cup, the hope of this message for those of us who are doing okay is that if this grips you, (laughs) a God who would do this grips you, the kingdom is breaking in. By his love and mercy, he's making it visible to you. You know, that there's some of us who will be called to ministry in the halls of power. There's some of us who will be fabulously wealthy. But I think for the most of us, <laughs> it's a safe bet to follow Jesus about that which he is most clear. I, I, you know, I'm grateful for those Christians who get called into politics and high finance, law. Absolutely, absolutely. That's a special kind of call. The way that the kingdom is breaking into this world is not in the halls of power. It's not because of bank balances. It's not because of human charisma. It's not because of human eloquence. God chooses to come to those on the outside, at the edges. And are we grateful? Let's do the rip. Let's eat and drink. we thank you for a love so deep, so profound that you would come as one of us and die for us Jesus we thank you for the revelation of a power so supreme that the creator of the universe would come to the backwaters of Palestine into a relationship of potential notoriety for a peasant girl. We thank you for good news. It sets our hearts aflame and has turned and is turning the world upside down. Holy Spirit, come, we pray, as we eat and drink, fill us again, kindle our hearts to the hope of the good news, that there is a kingdom coming which will not end, and the pain and the suffering, the loss, the hate, the anger, 
that we can't help but sow through our own power. The structures built thereon will be swept away. Jesus, we long to see you. We long to see you. We accept your gift. Thank you. Let's eat and drink. Why don't we stand and sing?